Well, good morning. I'm so glad to see you. I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online today. Glad to have you as well. Now, did you have a good spring break? Laura and I did. We just got back into town. Last Sunday, I preached at the beach service, and then we left and went up to Birmingham. Do you notice anything different about me today? <laughs> anything? Because most people just kind of went, no, I don't see anything, okay? Well, first, let me say that alcohol was not involved in my spring break. We were in Birmingham visiting with family. Laura's sister and niece came down and met us on Sunday night, stayed at our house a couple of days. We had a great time, saw our kids and had fun up there. We had lunch on Tuesday. And then uh, I had, we have a trash can that's down by the garage. It's on the basement level. I had brought it up to the street. Laura gave me two bags of trash to carry out to the trash can. <clears throat> came out of the front door, was walking down the street. Now, there are, are two places on the road or two or three where the the pavement has broken off and there's a dramatic drop that does not do justice that picture it's a crater i'm telling you it's it's huge and so i was walking along it was a beautiful day tuesday afternoon oh man it was gorgeous and i had these big bags of trash so i wasn't looking down i was looking everywhere but there and i walked and i, I one of those steps right there i stepped on the edge of that that street there where it was broken off and my left leg gave way and I started down and so I put my hands down I just dropped the bags put my hands down but I was going downhill so the momentum caused me to hit my head right here and uh, see my head really if you look at it my head really looks kind of bad and my eye looks okay it's not that bad see how much better it's gotten since Tuesday <laughs> What, what an improvement that has taken place there. And so, uh, as a result of that, I was dazed, and I sat up, and my feet were kind of uphill. My head was back here in my body. And, I, you know, I said, well, I could roll over, and I could get up on my knees on this pavement. However, that would do more damage to my body. I think I've already done enough. So I just pulled my phone out, and I called my wife and Laura's niece, and I said, come and help me. And so they came out and got a crane and pulled me up off the street. And so then they looked at my head, and of course I hadn't seen it, and they said, you have to go to the emergency room. So Laura drove me to the emergency room. There they took a CAT scan, and they confirmed what all of you already knew. I am an excellent candidate to be a scarecrow. If I only had a brain, see? if I could walk and chew gum at the same time. So I, I told Laura, since I got this injury, taking out the trash, I won't be able to do that anymore. <laughs> she wasn't buying it. The whole experience reminded me of years ago when I was serving another church and I had preached the first service at the church and there were two more to go and I got a migraine headache after the first service. Now, you know, for you, a migraine might not be anything. For me, I see a kaleidoscope. I have to take medicine. I have to go to bed right away. Uh, it's a big deal. And so they took me home, and, and they gave me the medicine and put me to bed. I gave the sermon uh, to my associate, and he preached at the next two services. And then he told everybody uh, where I was and what had happened and, and asked them to pray for me and my headache, okay? So Joanne Rowe was a member of our church, and she lived in our neighborhood. And after church, she was driving home, and they went past our house. She's got two little girls in the back seat, her daughters, and she turns to them and says, pray for Reverend Joe. He has a bad headache. And little three-year-old Melanie folded her hands 
and she bowed her head and she prayed, Dear God, please help Reverend Joe. He's sick in the head. <laughs> and that's not the first or the last time that prayer will be prayed for me. So I ask you to try to overlook my distraction today as I share the message. I'll just try this approach. How does that work for you? Okay, now we're, last Sunday I did preach at the beach, and we're talking about the seven churches in Revelation. The first week we talked about Ephesus, and we said that Ephesus was a busy church. They had forgotten their first love. Their first love was we know Jesus, we, we know what it's like to have a relationship with God, and we're just telling everybody. And they were a model for evangelism for 30 years. But then they became complacent and they got busy. And then they had lost their first love, the priority of what they were supposed to be doing. They didn't do it intentionally. It was subtle. It was slow. It just came on. And so he said, I have this against you. You've lost your first love. The second week we talked about Smyrna, which was the suffering church. It was persecuted. It was a poor church in the middle of a rich city. And all the people who had money and wealth and power, they were people who worshiped false gods like Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite. And they wanted everybody else to do what they were doing. Why can't these Christians just be like us and go to our beautiful Greek temples and do what we do and worship the way we worship? And so they persecuted them, but they were faithful. And then week three, uh, we looked at Pergamum. I always get that mixed up. Pergamum, it's a confused church, much like me after I get my head hit. And they had left the truth. They had been a church that had been faithful to the truth of God, and they shared the truth, but now they were not doing it. Okay, now, these messages, all seven of them, apply to us as individuals, but also to us as a church body. And these letters are from Jesus Christ. He's using John the Apostle, who's on the Isle of Patmos, and he's sharing these messages. Now, you've looked at the map, and you know that we started at Ephesus, then Smyrna, then uh, Pergamum, and now Thyatira today, and then Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So today we're going to talk about Thyatira, and we see how they become a tolerant church. The church there was located on an important trade route. It was a crossroads. It was a place where a lot of people were going to come through there. So it had an opportunity, and it was a growing church, and the economy there was on its way up. There was a lot of people coming in, a lot of business, a lot of good things happening. But there was a hitch if you wanted to be a part of all that wealth and, and, and uh, good things happening economically, then what you had to do was become a member of the trade guild and the trade guild you know what happens is that there was just this melting pot of your job and how you related to the government and the personal economy and you were just kind of tied into all of that stuff and it was the merging of theology and the economy and the government in fact some of the coins that they found in Thyatira the archaeologists today what they've discovered is that some of those coins have a false god on them and he's shaking he's an idol shaking hands with the the emperor. So that's how thorough it was that, that they were uh, worshiping the wrong people. To sur survive economically, you had to be part of the trade guild. And, and the part of that was so bad was you were required to attend their banquets, which were legendary for their gross sexual immorality. 
Can you see how this would pose a problem for the Christians of those days trying to live out their Christian lives? Can you see any parallels today in today's world? What about the cultural pressures that they experienced and we experience today, and they come against Christ? In what ways do you see people tolerating things more and more that are culturally immoral? The church had been around not that long, and the roots of the church could easily have been shaken by these cultural pressures. And so he was addressing what was happening. It was a current event that was taking place. The church started with an understanding. They knew the truth. You shall know the truth, and it will set you free. They knew God's word, you know, because God spoke to them. And then where should they stand? How should they live? What was correct to believe? They knew all that stuff, okay? But over time, they started tolerating things subtly, slowly, allowing certain things to come in, changes to take place, that the culture was beginning to impose on them. And the problem was, we don't know much about the start of the church at Thyatira, but we do know in Acts that Paul was preaching in the area of Macedonia, and there he led a woman to the Lord named Lydia. She invited Paul and those in his preaching team into her home, and she was quite a hostess, and she probably supported them financially. But the word there was about to fail. So Jesus says, I have something to say to this church in Thyatira, but what he's saying is relevant to us today. In verse 18, it says this, Jesus has described the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are burnished like bronze. Now, what that means is that the footing that he has, that Jesus has, is firm that his eyes are piercing, that he can look right through you. And the good news is that he's carrying us, and that's good because his feet are firmly planted. He's not going to fall like I did this past week. He's going to take care of us, right? But also it serves as a warning for the church, for those who have lives that are not what God would want them to be. Things are bad. He said, I see everything that you are doing, for me, and this is the heart of God to begin with encouragement. I know your deeds and your love and your faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first, okay? But then he goes on and he says, but I have this against you. Now, on all these, in all these churches, you notice how the Lord always tells us what we're doing right and he brags on us and he encourages us and he shows us where we're headed in the right direction. And he says, but now here's one area that we need to work on. Here's something where I, I don't want you to get off track. I'm trying to help you. I want you to do the right thing. And so he says, I have this against you. <clears throat> they were a growing church, as I said, and they were doing things right in the midst of all that good. There was one thing they were doing wrong. He says, I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now, what does it mean to tolerate something? Well, that means to get comfortable with something that really we should be uncomfortable with. It's not something that we should accept and be a part of. And the church was tolerating some bad teaching, and it was coming from this woman, Jezebel. It says, the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, he says, 
Um, he says, a female prophet, the woman is saying that she speaks for God, that she is a prophet. She teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, in the early days of the Apostle Paul's ministry, questions arose about what to do with all the new converts because so many Gentiles were becoming followers of Christ. You see, the Jewish people would convert to Christianity from Judaism. But now there are people who are not Jewish, and everybody who's not Jewish is a Gentile, but we've got just droves of them coming to Christ. So what are we going to do with them? And so the Jewish people began to think in their heads, you know, we have a testimony. We want to share our testimony with other people. And they thought, well, okay, this is what you do. And what they did, you do what we've done. What they did is they had all these Jewish practices and rules and all that, that they had lived all their whole lives. And they were trying to tell the Gentile people that they needed to do all that first and then they could go into Christianity. But the point was that, no, they didn't need to do all that first, that they could just come straight into Christianity. So a key leader in the church, James, the brother of Jesus, stands up and says, so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. In other words, they don't have to do all that the Jewish people did to get here, but there are some things that they don't need to be a part of, and so let's, let's make it easier for them to accept Christ, and let's just point them in the right direction and say, these are things you don't need to be a part of. Two of the things that the church leaders said don't do, the woman Jezebel was telling them to go ahead and do. Not only was she teaching it, but she was leading them into it. This woman was willfully teaching her agenda regardless of what God had to say about it. And it says, and I gave her time to repent, and she did not want to repent of her immorality. Okay? But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Okay? What, what enticed these Christians to go astray was something about pride. Pride will get us into trouble. And so what was going on was that they were talking about, well, you need to be part of the deep, deeper things, the deeper things. Well, what happens is that all of us are creatures that like the new and improved. We're always looking for the new. What's new? What's going on? Okay? And sometimes the old things that are even the principles we need to live by, sometimes they just become unimportant to us because we're looking for the next best thing. And after years of being in the ministry and watching this and observing it, there are certain types of people who will have an insatiable hunger for something new. And usually they're saying, I'm looking for something deeper, but really they're just couching what they want in hidden terms. The Apostle Paul does teach that there are levels of understanding, that when you first become a Christian, you need to drink milk. As you grow and become more mature, you need to start eating meat. And that's true. And there's a level of maturity, but that's not what was going on here with Jezebel. It wasn't the meat of God's word on which she was feeding. 
She was dipping her ladle into the satanic cauldron, and some Christians were just lapping it up because she said that's what they need to do. What happens is that some people taste that and they see a new fad, a new trend, something different they've never seen before, and then, you know, well, I'm superior. I, I, listen, I'm enlightened. You, you're not as enlightened as I am. I know better than you do. I, I know things, and, and I know what's going on, and, you know, I just want to be, and so they always want to be a step above other people, and they don't even realize how arrogant they have become. Now listen, there's not much deeper in the Christian life than learning to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you want something deeper, start right there, okay? That's enough right there for us to spend our lives growing into the likeness of Christ. Because Jesus, you don't ever see Jesus being arrogant, saying, I know the deeper things. Hey, you don't know. I know. He knew them, but that's not what he said. He, he always was winsome and attractive and, and drew people in, and they wanted to be more like him and know more about him. So I want to give you four glaring errors that this woman was a part of. First, she was doing what we call a misuse of scripture. There were false teachers who used enough scripture to be dangerous, and that's what she was doing. This woman, secondly, was not given any authority. She grabbed authority and said she spoke for God, and she was a prophetess. Now listen, you need to be careful and always watch people who don't want to, to surrender to authority. People who want to be the authority, but they don't surrender to... Everybody is surrendered to an authority, and they need to be surrendered to an authority. Every Christian is surrendered to the authority of God. And when people are just saying, well, I don't care what God says. I'm just going to teach you what I want you to know. I'm just going to do things my way. I'm just going to be God. That's a caution right there. That's a red flag. Watch out for that. Third, she had a refusal to repent. She was just ungodly. She didn't care. She didn't care what they told her, how they would help her. She wasn't paying attention. And, and then there was this spiritual elitism. That's number four. And, and well, I've got the deeper things. I mean, you got to stay with me if you want to learn the deeper things, right? And the punishment for this false prophet and her followers comes in verses 22 and 23. It says, behold, I'll throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. <clears throat> now often in the Old Testament, the worship of idols could be described as adultery against God. You see, God's a jealous God. And he says, you got to put me first. got to love me first. And these are people, that seems to be the implication here, that you're loving false idols more than me. And then also the word about killing children. Now, literally, that might have been that during the sexual orgies that the false teacher in the church was sharing and the pregnancies that came from various men, the children of those unions were going to die. Figuratively, it could refer to those she recruits as generationally. In other words, <clears throat> I'm going to influence this generation 
They're going to influence the next generation. And that was not going to work. God was not going to allow that. Now, what's painfully clear is the cancerous touch that this woman who was tolerated by the church was impacting the church. It's not as much about God's judgment as it is about God's love for the church. I'm not going to allow this to happen. It's hurting the, my church, and I'm not going to do it. So it says, I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold these teachings, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. What he's saying is that the Christian life, the running the race, the life of Christ, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And in a marathon, you've got to pace yourself. And you've got to look at the long haul. And you can't just be stopping in the middle of the race and chasing after this rabbit and that rabbit and going in all different directions because somebody pops up with something new. You just got to hold fast to the truth. You just got to hold to the things that are the basics that God taught us to follow. You know, we could spend our lives just focusing on that. And that's the challenge for every believer here, to follow Jesus the rest of the way. You've started out now, just don't quit. And how do you have that? By balancing the truth and tolerance. Jesus was very good at doing that. He would not overlook serious sin, but he, he showed people how to show truth and tolerance. And that's a balance. One time, a woman who was in the act of adultery was brought to Jesus. And the law said, you know, we've got a stoner. There's no tolerance for that. And so they were picking up rocks. And they said, what do you think? And, and he confronted the people there about their sin. And they dropped the rocks and went away. And then he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, do you see the difference? Jesus had a heart for people. She had broken the law. There's no doubt about it. But there was a way for her to make things right with God because what could happen is I'm going to tolerate you because I'm going to teach you. Now, here's the point. Jezebel was saying, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want. This woman now had the opportunity to change, to turn from her life, to become a new person, and that's what Jesus was offering her. So that's what she found. And Jesus always wants to come to us with a balance. He shows compassion. He, he loves people. And he took this woman and her sin seriously, but he gave her a way to move forward in love and grace. And then it says in John, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So we see who Jesus is. We see what he's like. We see his message. We see how he's, he's engaging people. He has a heart for people. He wants to reach people. So how do we find that balance? Well, there are some questions we need to ask in our own lives. And the first one is, is this a major or a minor issue according to the Bible? I'm trying to make a decision. Is it a major or a minor issue according to the Bible? We have a measuring device, and that's the standard, and it's God's Word. And so everything we have to make decisions about, we have to measure against the standard of God's Word to determine. We don't take a poll and say, well, let's see who all believes in this. Okay, who believes in this? Who's the majority? And that's the way we're going to go. God says, no, that's not the way it works. The Bible teaches us the truth, and the truth will set us free. 
Have you ever heard this advice? Listen, in major issues, have unity. In minor issues, have diversity. In all issues, show charity. That's love. You see the balance there? And I think that's good advice. So Paul says, speak the truth in love. And there's a way to say things and a way not to say things. Secondly, how will your decision, your involvement, impact an immature believer? In other words, what you say and do, how's that going to affect somebody who's a new follower of Christ? You've got to be sensitive to those folks, and you've got to be winsome and attractive. In Romans, it says, determine not to put a stumbling block in another's way. You decide you're not going to cause someone else to fall, so then let's pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. I have a responsibility to other people. I'm a Christian, and I've got to be Christ-like with them. And then third, will this reflect my love for the Lord? In other words, my actions, what I do and what I say, is this going to show other people how much I love the Lord or not? Certainly, we, what we do, we do because we love God. Well, if we do it because we love God, then we're going to please God, aren't we? Because we're just seeking to please Him. Somebody summed it up like this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then do what you please. Because if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what you do will please God, right? And that's what we want to do. And then here's the, the principle to it. I, will, I must remember whose I am, who I belong to, and then demonstrate my love for my heavenly Father. Now, fourth, what would my spiritual role model do? What if you have to defend your actions? Can you defend your actions to God by the way that you treat people? Paul said, imitate me, and I'll try to live my life in a godly way so I'll be a good example. And here's the principle. Spend time with mature believers. You know, I don't know that there's a Sunday that goes by that we don't say to you, that's why you need to be in a small group. That's why you need to be in a growth group. That's why you need to be in some type of spiritual class. You need other people around you who pray for you and you pray for them and you study together and you do life together and you grow together. And that's really, discipleship is what we're trying to emphasize here at Woodlawn. And so that's what we're trying to encourage people to be a part of. Look at the person next to you and say, do you have a growth group? Go ahead and ask them right now. And if they say no, take your finger and point it at them and say, why not? But be tolerant, okay? The truth, but tolerant, okay? And then it says this. The reward is found in, in verses 27 and 28. Jesus is saying, hold fast. Ultimately, Christians are going to win. I will give the one who holds fast the morning star. Revelation 22 says this, I am the root, and this is Jesus, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bride and morning star. His promises is that we will be with him, so hold fast. That's a marathon. Don't give up. 
Don't give up. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've been doing really well. Don't get complacent. Keep going. Now, early in my ministry, there was a young man who got involved with the youth, and he was a volunteer with the youth ministry, but he, he was a person who became disrespectful and rebellious and arrogant, and he was unwilling to listen and he was inappropriate. He would sit on the back row with the teenage girls, and he would talk and laugh during the message. He would wear sunglasses. I told the, the church, I said, you know, there's this movie that's come out, The Last Temptation of Christ. You don't need to go see that. Just skip it. There's nothing redeeming about it. It's a bad thing. Well, he immediately went out and saw it and then told everybody about it. So I called him into my office, and I said, you know, I have a responsibility to you, and I'm your pastor, but I also have a responsibility to the young people in the church and the other folks in the church and I know you're a volunteer but you're fired and you're not going to be working with the youth anymore you don't need to be around here doing that when the youth are here because you're, you're not leading you're not a mature person you're not a capable of doing that and he kind of huffed and puffed and I said you know do whatever you want to but you're gone and, and that's the truth. And, and that's the way it should be because, you know, I'm responsible as the pastor for the whole church. And I got to look at the big picture. And, and that's, what, that's what they're saying about this woman, Jezebel. You know, she had all these characteristics that were bad, and she was not influencing in the right direction. And so they say, he said, I got one thing against you. You tolerate this woman, Jezebel. Now, after I preached last Sunday at the beach, a young woman came up to me, a college student. She's a, a college student at Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. That's my parents' hometown. I lived there till I was about six years old. And she came up, and she, I noticed when I was preaching, she was feverishly taking notes. I mean, she was really knocking it out of the park. I really liked her. <laughs> I just want you to know what some other people are doing. I'm just saying and so she came up, and she said, okay, I missed the third point. I had an outline. I missed it, and I don't have a screen out there. So she said, I missed the third point. I want to get it down, so I gave it to her. And then she said, she told me how much she appreciated the sermon. She said, it's a hard sermon to preach. It's a hard sermon to hear. But she said, I really got a lot out of it. And when she left, there was another young woman who was behind her, and she came up to me, and she was a seminary student. And I noticed she, too, was taking notes feverishly. I really liked her. Okay, so she came up and she told me how much she enjoyed the message. And she said it was a tough topic. It was hard to preach that sermon, but you did a good job with it. She said, I appreciate that. And she was taking those notes. And she, I thought about those two young women as I was leaving and driving away from that service. And what they were saying was that the message I was preaching was counter-cultural. And it was counter-cultural on purpose, which is not popular with everyone, but it is the truth. And they appreciated me speaking the truth in love. You see, the truth with tolerance, the emphasis on the love. You know, I'm trying to reach people who are far from God. I'm not trying to exclude them and push them away, okay? And I thought to myself how significant it is that these two young adults were so hungry for God's Word, and even when it was challenging to hear, you know, they wanted to hear it. And, and I don't think they're alone. In fact, we've been talking about the revival that's broken out, the awakening.
and how Asbury it broke out, but it's, it's gone all over the world. And, and isn't it interesting that in the midst of that, that this Jesus Revolution movie came out? What about the timing of that? What do you, what do you think about that? And have you noticed... Have you noticed how much money that movie is making? They didn't expect it to make anything like that, and especially the people of the world, and it's just breaking all kinds of records, and it's just booming. And I went to see it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it because I lived through that. In the 70s when I was in high school, it was a popular thing to be a Christian, and, and everybody wanted to be a Christian. And, and the youth groups were just, you know, overflowing and everybody in town was coming to our youth group and we made an album in Nashville and we toured all over the place and we went on lay witness missions and and I just thought everybody had that experience because it was so real but here's the thing have you noticed that all that that's going on around the world it's starting with young people it's starting with students who are in college, it's, it's young adults, it's folks in seminaries, it's, it's those people who are really tuned into God. And, and Carmen went up there and she saw it when she was there. And Steve Irwin went up there with his family and, and he saw it while the revival was going on. And it's real, that's real. And so, you know, it was a blessing to me to, to see that in those young adults and to see their heart for God. And, and it's a good thing for us to remember. And that's really the end, the reminder to us. That's a way for us to live our lives. We don't need to think about the culture today. We need to think about all the people who are hungry for God. We need to think about all the people who are receptive to God. We need to think about, you know, God, you're going to give me divine appointments today with people who need to hear about you. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to do that. We moved uh, our stuff up to this house we bought in Birmingham, and we've gotten to know our neighbors. And so we looked up one Sunday, and one of our, a couple from the neighborhood, they showed up in church. They got a place down here at the beach, and they chose to come to our church one Sunday. And then the Sunday before last, when I was preaching, I looked up, and there they were again. They came back in church, and they came up and sat with Laura on the front row, and we got to go out to dinner with them while we were up there uh, during spring break. And then one Sunday I was preaching in here and I got to the door over there and people were coming out. And I can't really see y'all because it's so dark in here very much. I mean, I can kind of notice that you're not taking notes. But I, I can see. <laughs> but I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm being tolerant. But, what I, you know, when I'm standing at the door, this woman comes up and she said, do, do you recognize me? I said, yeah, it's my next door neighbor from Birmingham. And she came down here with some of her family. And where did she go? She brought them and she came to our church, you know. And then I was talking talking to another neighbor that I have, and he called me yesterday, and he was just asking me if we'd gotten back okay, and he said, you know, I've got to get down to the beach. I'm going to come sometime, and he says, I want to come to your church. I want to, I want to participate and hear you preach, and I'm going, you know, wow, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm barely there, and I'm, I'm, God's just giving me some new friends up there, and we're praying for them, and the guy next door has had some health issues, and his wife was the one that was down here, and so we want to pray for them, and they pray for us, and, and they pick me up out of the street when I fall down because I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. But, but you know, we're going to go to heaven with these people, right? There's a lot of people we're going to go to heaven with, and some of them might rub you the wrong way. 
You're going to skip heaven just because you don't want to go because they're there? I don't think that's going to work, right? I tease my mom all the time because she's big on cleaning her house. I mean, she's 87 years old, but she's never been notified of her age, okay? And she said, I've got to get these windows clean. I've got to get this floor clean. And I'm going, let me ask you a question. And she loves to read Christian books, I mean, all the time. And I said, let me ask you a question. When Jesus comes back, are you going to say, really, today? Listen, I've got something to do. Could you come back on Thursday? I've got, I, I still, I got to get this floor clean. I said, do you think it's going to matter that your floor is not spick and span? But she just starts laughing. She can't even talk back because she's cracking up laughing at me. And I'm going, you know, it'll be okay. Trust me. Just relax. It'll be fine. She's going, okay, whatever. All right, I got to go. I got to go clean. All right. <laughs> Listen, I'm so glad to see you today. I'm glad to be upright. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad I was able to walk in here and hopefully walk out okay. But uh, I'm, I'm glad to see you. I hope these messages have meant something to you. We're going to continue on. And I want to just say to you, I want to give you a kind of a prep. We have a lot of people who come to church on Easter, and they, they kind of focus on Easter. And they're not necessarily here a lot of other Sundays. You follow me? And they always hear what? The Easter message, right? And so I'm going to be a little bit sneaky this year because I'm going to preach on the church at Laodicea. And I'm going to talk about that. But then I'm going to talk about what the difference in all these seven churches and the word that God had for them what difference that made because of Easter. And I'm going to wrap it up with Easter, but I'm going to give them something that maybe they've never heard about before. I'm just going to do a quick recap of this series. And I want, you to, I want to ask you to pray about this. Pray about the folks who are going to be coming who are far from God, and, and they're not normally in church. They don't come. Maybe they come with their family. It's Easter. You know, maybe somebody made them come, whatever, that maybe this will get their attention. And, and maybe God will use it to help them see, well, what does Easter really mean? And, and what are these other things in the Bible really all about? Okay, sound good? You follow me? All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for walking with us through life and using us to be your example, your witness your hands and feet, your voice. I just pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear those around us. Help us to be sensitive to the needs of others. Help us to be tolerant to a point, but also to speak the truth in love and to try to be winsome and attractive and, and be a part of just loving them into the kingdom. Lord, I, I pray that you, we would look out optimistically that we wouldn't be afraid, that we wouldn't listen to the culture, that we wouldn't feel like we're in the minority because I don't believe we are. I believe that there are folks out there who are just waiting for us to come and share with them. They're open, they're receptive. All they need is for us to spend time with them. And I pray, Lord, that we'll be faithful and obedient and we'll run the marathon. We won't just try to sprint. And we'll see that come to fruition. And we'll, we'll get stronger We'll finish stronger because of our faith in you and because of your goodness to us. And you will use us as long as we're here to reach as many people as possible for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,